Amen. All right, well, we're there in Hebrews chapter number 7. And, of course, on Wednesday nights, we are going through a study in the book of Hebrews, a verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study through the book of Hebrews. And tonight we find ourselves here in Hebrews chapter number 7. And if you remember last week, we looked at the first part of this chapter, verses 1 through 10. And last week we looked at a very uh, interesting and uh, mysterious, intriguing uh, character in the Bible by the name of Melchizedek. And we studied that out last week and we answered the question, who is Melchizedek? And today, tonight, we're going to continue finishing up uh, chapter number 7 here. And we're going to continue on this theme of Melchizedek, but we're going to shift here in verse 11 and we're going to be focusing less, uh, the writer of Hebrews is going to be focusing less on the person of Melchizedek and more on the priesthood of Melchizedek. And you'll see that in verse 11 begins this theme regarding the order of Melchizedek and the priesthood of Melchizedek. And what we're going to see is what the order of Melchizedek shows us, what the order of Melchizedek teaches us. Uh, specifically, we're going to learn about the, the priesthood of Melchizedek, uh, but we're going to see how it relates to the Old Testament uh, law and to the Old Testament covenant. Let me just go ahead and say this up front. The portion of Scripture we're going to look at tonight, verses 11 through 28, uh, is a dense portion of Scripture. So tonight is going to be very much a Wednesday night Bible study. I think that's why you came to church on a Wednesday night for Bible study, and that's what uh, we're going to do. We're going to dissect this portion of Scripture. But I want to remind you the, the theme. There are several themes for the book of Hebrews. Of course, one of the themes is that Jesus is better. We've been seeing that um, as we've been traveling through the book of Hebrews, and we'll see that again tonight. Another theme or a, 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 the context that we need to remember when we're studying the book of Hebrews is this, that the book of Hebrews was written... Uh, of course, we know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and we know that all Scripture is profitable, and it's all good for all of us. We can all learn from it. But the book of Hebrews was primarily written to first-century Jewish believers, and it was written to help them understand how to correlate the Old Testament uh, and the New Testament, how to transition out of the Old Testament into the New Testament. And these Jewish believers who had grown up uh, in the Jews' religion, but are now saved, uh, apparently, we see from the book of Hebrews and we see from other portions of Scripture, were having trouble leaving some of those things behind. They were having trouble transitioning out of that, and that's really the main emphasis of the book of Hebrews, is to help them learn how to transition out of the Old Testament. The writer of Hebrews is doing that by explaining to them that they don't need to hold on to the Old Testament covenant because of the fact that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Abraham. Jesus is better than the Old Covenant. Jesus is better than the Sabbath. We've seen all these things in the book of Hebrews. Jesus is better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than the Old Testament law. We've seen these things in the book of Hebrews, and we're going to continue that here with this order of Melchizedek. And what I'd like to do is give you three thoughts tonight regarding uh, what we learn from the order of Melchizedek, or what it is that the order of Melchizedek teaches us. Because if you remember, the writer of Hebrews is brought up Melchizedek and is bringing up the order of Melchizedek for a reason. I'd like to give you three thoughts this evening, and I'd love for you to write those down. And I always want to encourage you to take notes on the back of your course of the week. There's a place for you to write down some notes. And let's begin here in verse number 11. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11. Notice what the Bible says. If, therefore, perfection. Now, when you see this word, perfection here, you need to understand that in the King James Bible, usually when we see the word perfection, it's not the primary way that we use the word perfect. Uh, when we say something's perfect, we mean that um, there's nothing wrong with it, but there's another definition for the word perfect or perfection, which means to complete primarily in our Bible. When we see the word perfection, that's what it means, and here it means to bring something to completion, and the Bible says here, if, therefore, perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek? And the question that's being asked and the point that's being made in, by, the way, by, by a question is this. If the Levitical priesthood 
brought completion, brought perfection. If it was complete, then what further need was there? What point would there be? Why would there be a need that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called uh, after the order of Aaron? The question being asked is, if, if, if the Levitical priesthood could get it done, then why would we need this additional priesthood, this, uh, this other order of Melchizedek? And the answer is this, and if you'd like to write this down, then you can jot this down for your notes. The order of Melchizedek shows us that the Old Testament priesthood was incapable. The Old Testament priesthood was incapable of bringing what is being referred to here as perfection. The question being asked is, if therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, then why would we need another priest? Why would we need another priesthood? Why would we need a priest after the order of Melchizedek? Now, we're going to go through all the verses here in, in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 through 28, but just skip down to verse number 18 just real quickly, just to show you this emphasis on the fact that the Old Testament priesthood was incapable. Look at verse 18. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandments going before. We're going to come back to that phrase here in a minute. Notice these words, though. For the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. I want you to notice that the Bible says that there was a disannulling, and the reason for the disannulling was because of the fact that it was weak and it was unprofitable. Notice verse 19. For the law made nothing, and here's our word again, perfect. The law made nothing complete. The law made nothing whole. And the idea is this, that the Old Testament priesthood was incapable to bring those under that priesthood to completion, to maturity, to the will of God for their lives. Now let's just real quickly fast forward a little bit uh, into Hebrews chapter number 10. And it's, it's, since the book of Hebrews primarily deals with this subject matter, it's hard to not use the book of Hebrews to, uh, as cross-references to show these things. There's nothing wrong with that other than we haven't got to Hebrews 10 yet, and I don't want to use too much of the scriptures that are ahead of us because we're going to spend time, of course, uh, studying those later on as we continue through. But let's look at Hebrews chapter 10 just real quickly. We'll fast forward in the book just for a little bit and look at verse number 10. And here's what I want you to understand. The, the Bible is saying here that under the old covenant, there was an inability to be able to bring them into completion. Notice how it's stated here in Hebrews 10 and verse 1. For the law... And the law, of course, is referring to the Old Testament covenant, to the Old Testament law. For the law having a shadow of good things to come. And the good things to come being referred to here is the New Testament covenant. And what the Bible is telling us is that these old, and we've seen this many times uh, uh, as we've studied these things out. The Old Testament had all these things that were symbolic, that were a shadow. They weren't the thing, but they were casting a shadow of things to come. That's what's being said here. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the thing, notice these words, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto, notice the word, perfect. Those sacrifices could never make someone complete, could never make someone Hold, look at verse 2. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because the worshippers once purged should have had more, no more conscience of sin. Verse 3. But in those sacrifices, notice what the Bible says here, there is a remembrance again. Because if we, if we ask the question, okay, if the sacrifices offered year by year continually could not make the comers thereunto perfect, then what was the point of the sacrifices. What was the point of doing those things? If it could not take away sin, then why did they do it? And the Bible is telling us here that those were done ritualistically as a remembrance. Notice verse 3, but in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. Kind of like we do the Lord's Supper 
every year, and we look back to the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ as we pour the, the juice, and it pictures the shed blood of the Lord, or as we break the bread, and it pictures the broken body of our Savior. That is a memorial where we remember the sacrifice. The Bible is telling us here that in the Old Testament, all those sacrifices, and look, People need to understand this because there's a lot of, of just false doctrine that comes as a result of this. Especially among Baptists, there's a lot of dispensationalists who will teach that in the Old Testament they were saved by the law. And they'll say that in the Old Testament that was the age of the law and we're, or the dispensation of the law, and we're in the dispensation of grace and we're saved by grace, but back then they were saved by the law. And they'll literally teach that they were saved by keeping these commands and by sacrificing these animals. And look, the writer of Hebrews is telling us those animals can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Nobody was saved in the Old Testament by sacrificing animals or keeping the law. There is no such thing as the dispensation. And here's what the dispensation will teach. They'll say, well, back then they were saved by the law. They were under the dispensation law. Today we're under the dispensation of grace. But they'll say that there's coming the millennial reign where people will again get saved by the law. That's not true. No one was ever saved by the law, period. The law was there as a remembrance again, made of sins every year. Look at verse 4, Hebrews 10 and verse 4. For it is not possible. It is not possible. Now it's interesting to me that the Bible, sometimes some of the greatest verses in the Bible tell us that with God all things are possible. But here I love the fact that now God, who can make all things possible, says there are some things that are not possible. He says, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Under the old covenant, and here's what you need to understand. Under the old covenant, there was a reminder of sin, but no removal of sin. There was a remembrance of sin. There was a ritual that they did. And as they sacrificed that animal, they were supposed to be looking forward, not trusting in that sacrifice to save them, but saying, this lamb, this ox, this sacrifice pictures the fact that one day a Messiah is coming who's going to be sacrificed for our sin. They were supposed to be looking forward. It was a remembrance. The old covenant gave them a reminder of sin, but no removal of sin. Look at verse 11, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. Just skip down to verse number 11. This, again, is being emphasized. For every priest standeth daily ministering and offering. Notice the emphasis here. Oftentimes, oftentimes the same sacrifices. Notice what it says. Which can never take away sins. Those sacrifices under the old covenant could never make someone perfect, could never make someone whole, could never make someone clean. Hey, when Jesus would uh, forgive sins on this earth, when he walked on this earth, we read in the Gospels, he would tell people, thy faith has made thee whole. Thy faith has made, it's made you complete. I've made you whole. And what Jesus could do with his forgiveness, the Old Testament covenant could never do. It could never bring perfection. It could never make them perfect. It could never make them complete. Why? Because those sacrifices could never take away sins. It is impossible. It's not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. But I want you to notice verse number 12. Hebrews 10, 12. There's the compare and contrast. And we've been talking about the fact that the Old Testament covenant could not take away sin. But then here's the contrast to that, verse 12. But this man, referring to Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Now there's an emphasis there because of the fact that the other sacrifices were offered year by year continually, right? They were uh, sacrifices given, verse 11, daily offering oftentimes or oftentimes. And here the Bible tells us that this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down on the right hand of God. The old covenant 
gave us a reminder of sin, but no removal of sin. Here's a compare and contrast of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant, you had a remembrance of sin with no removal of sin because those sacrifices, it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The New Covenant gives us a removal of sin that will never be remembered again. Because the Bible says that when we are saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's, he, he separates us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. He says that he cast it behind him. He, he says, their sins will I remember no more. So in the Old Testament, there was a reminder with no removal. In the New Testament, there's a removal with no reminder, praise God. The blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. And, you know, we can make a New Testament application today in the sense that to, even today there are those who are trying to not sacrifice animals like the Old Testament Jews, but those who are through personal sacrifice hoping that they'll Sins will be atoned for if they go to church enough, if they get baptized enough, if they repent of their sins enough, if they keep the commandments and the laws of God enough, they're hoping. But what I would say to them is this, that it is not possible, it is not possible that the waters of baptism, it is not possible that church attendance, it is not possible that turning over a new leaf could ever take away sin. Those things cannot be atoned for uh, through sacrifices. They can only be atoned through one sacrifice, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I like the words of the song that says, I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. It's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Go back to Hebrews chapter 7, if you would. So the order of Melchizedek, because the argument being made by the writer of Hebrews is this, the fact that a new priesthood was in the works, was already in place, ready to be brought out. This tells us something, and it tells us this. The order of Melchizedek and the existence of the order of Melchizedek tells us that the Old Testament priesthood was incapable. That's the argument being made here. We're being told here in, in Hebrews 7 and verse 11, If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, what further need was there that another priest should arise up to the order of Melchizedek? And there was a need because of the fact that the Old Testament priesthood was incapable. That's what we learned. The order of Melchizedek teaches us, it shows us that the Old Testament priesthood was incapable. But there's a second lesson. I'd like you to see it in verse number 12, Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 12. And it is this. Not only do we see that the Old Testament priesthood was incapable, but we also see this, verse 12, for the priesthood, I want you to notice these words, being changed. Now today there are those who will argue with us and they'll say, you know, what you believe is replacement theology. And they'll say, you're, you're uneducated, you didn't go to Bible college, and, and why that's, that's not what most Christians believe. Well, let me tell you something, most quote-unquote Christians are going to die and go to hell. So let's, let's not, you know, how about we start there? But they'll say, well, you believe in replacement theology, and that's, that's wrong. That's not correct. Uh, there, there's been no change. Well, wait a minute. Hebrews 7, verse 12, for the priesthood being changed. The Bible tells us here that the priesthood was changed. And it's not just the priesthood. Notice, for the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. I said, number one, the order of Melchizedek teaches us the Old Testament priesthood was incapable. Number two, the order of Melchizedek shows us, it teaches us that the Old Testament law was invalidated. 
Here we're told that it was changed. The priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. No, no, there's no change in the law. Well, that's not what Hebrews says. That's not what the writer of Hebrews says. He's saying there was a change also of the law, verse 13. For, the word for means because, he, referring to Jesus, of whom these things are spoken, what things are spoken, the fact that Jesus is of the order of Melchizedek, the order of Melchizedek versus the order of Aaron, for he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe. He, the word pertain there or pertaineth means that he belongs. And again, remember, the writer of Hebrews is writing to first century Jewish believers and he's telling them, look, there's been a change in the priesthood. There's been a change in the law. And they would say, well, why is there a need for a change? And he would say, the, the reason he says, because of he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. You say, what does that mean? He's saying, those that gave attendance at the altar, those who served at the altar, referring to the priests, they all came from the same tribe. We've been studying the book of Numbers in, the, uh, on, in our Sunday services. If you've been with us, this should be a familiar theme to you, that God chose Aaron. God chose Aaron and his sons to be the priests. He chose the Levites to minister along with the priests. And they all came from the one tribe of Levi. And here we're being, he's telling us, but the person we're talking about now, the Lord Jesus Christ, he pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar, verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord Jesus sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning Priesthood. Here's what he's saying. The Old Testament covenant says nothing about a priest coming from the tribe of Judah. But yet we have a high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's coming out of the tribe of Judah. You say, well, how can that be? That goes against the Mosaic law. And what he's saying is the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. Verse 14, for it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake. Nothing concerning the priesthood, and it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest. Now, last week, we talked about who is Melchizedek, and we looked at all the uh, 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 similarities between the Lord Jesus Christ and Melchizedek, and there were so many similarities that we concluded that Jesus is Melchizedek. Without father, without mother, without descent of days, without beginning of days. He's the Alpha, he's the Omega. He's the Son of God. And here he's telling us, look, the law was changed. And here he's making the point of the law being changed regarding the priesthood. But all over the New Testament we're told the law has changed when it comes to ordinances and ceremonies. So all the washings. All the Sabbath days, all the sacrifices, anything that was ritualistic. And look, just for you to understand it, just think of it this way. The law can be divided. The Old Testament covenant can be divided into two sections. Parts of it have to do with what we would call moral laws. Right and wrong. Don't lie, don't steal, don't kill, those types of things. And then there's the ceremonial law. That had to do with the rituals of the temple, rituals of the tabernacle, sacrifices, washings, certain things, certain holidays they kept. There was nothing moral about any of those things. Those were just ceremonial religious rituals. All of those things we're going to see in the book of Hebrews have been done away with. And this is what he's referring to. Look at verse number 16. Who is made, Hebrews 7 16, the who here is referring to Jesus, who is made, referring to the fact that he's being made a high priest. He is made, notice, not after the law of carnal commandments. Now the word carnal, of course, has to do with flesh. And here, usually when we think of the word carnal or carnality, we think of things that are sinful. But here the reference is to the fact that it, it, it has to do with something that's human, something that's flesh something that is temporary because our lives are but a vapor that appear for a little time and then vanish away. Notice what he says, verse 16. 
who was made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. The compare and contrast is carnal commandments versus endless life. Fleshly commandments versus eternal life. Temporary commandments versus a life that is endless. Verse 17, for he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now we're going to look at the, he's, he's quoting from the book of Psalms, and we're going to see it here in a minute. He brings it up again. But before we do that, I want you to look at verse 18, because he told us that there was a change to the law. The law being changed. There's, he says there's a necessity of change. And then, you know, in case you didn't like that, I don't like you preaching there's a change. Well, then he gets even worse, because then he says this in verse 18, for there is verily a disannulling. Now, to disannul means to make void, to cancel. He said, look, there's a disannulling of the commandments going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. He says, the law has been changed and the commandments have been disannulled. He said, there's a disannulling of the commandments. And of course, we're talking here about the priesthood and everything that pertains to the priesthood, all the rituals, the sacrifices, he says there's been a change. He says they have been made void. They have been disannulled. Keep your place there in Hebrews chapter 7. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. In the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And look, you might think, you know, why do we need to make a big deal about this? I think we all know that. We're at Verity Baptist Church. And look, praise God. I hope most people here know this. But look, there's, there's major movements today of Christians who are be, being Judaized and becoming Judaizers where they're, they're, they're teaching, no, we got to go keep the Sabbath. No, we got we to keep these special feasts and these sacrifices. We got to keep all these things. And they don't understand that the Bible says, hey, the priesthood, it's done. That the Old Testament ceremonial laws, they've been changed. They've been disannulled. The commandments are gone. Notice 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. And look, this is all throughout Hebrews. It's all throughout the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 6. Who also hath made us able ministers. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthians. And he's saying, look, we have been made able ministers. Notice these words of the New Testament. The New Testament is referring to the New Covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death, that is referring to the Old Testament law. Because remember, the law, all it brings is death. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, that is a specific reference to the Ten Commandments that were written in stone. Notice what he says. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious. And look, let me just say this. Just because we say, hey, the Old Testament has been done away with, we're not saying there's anything wrong with the Old Testament. It was glorious. Praise God for it. And there's still lots we can learn from the Old Covenant. We don't apply it today. We don't live under the Old Covenant. We can learn from it. And look, he's saying, but if the ministration of death written and engraven in stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance. Remember, Moses came down off the mount with the commandments and his face shone and it was a glorious thing. But notice what's being said here. But if the ministration of death written and engraven in stones, was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance. Notice these words. Which glory was to be done away. Here's what he's saying. It was glorious. But if it was glorious and it was to be done away, look at verse 8. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious. Now, you may not understand these terms, but here's what you need to understand. One of the major differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, we're going to come back to it in the book of Hebrews in chapter 7, and we'll come to it in chapter 8, and we'll deal with it. One of the major differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant 
is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Covenant, there was no indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit came upon certain individuals at times to do great works. And by the way, let me say this, the Holy Spirit comes upon certain individuals today to do great works. Not every, uh, not every believer, Old or New Testament, is filled with the Holy Spirit or has the Holy Spirit upon their lives. In fact, sadly, the vast majority do not. But in the Old Testament, there was no indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, there's an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, how, why is that? And here's why it is. Under the Old Covenant, there was a house of God. There was a place where the people of God met with God. It was a tabernacle. Later on, it was a temple. But if you remember, when both the tabernacle and the temple were, uh, were commissioned to be used, they would do these sacrifices, and the Bible tells us that the glory of the Lord would fill the temple. The glory of the Lord would fill the tabernacle. And that represented the presence of God there where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And when Moses would go and meet with God in the tabernacle, it was a picture of the fact that God was there. His presence was there. So the temple was filled with the glory of God or the Spirit of God. It represented the presence of God. But in the New Testament, there is no one location where there's a building or a temple that we go and do a pilgrimage to worship in. In the New Testament, my body is a temple. And your body is a temple. And in the same way that the Old Testament temple was indwelled with the Spirit of God and the presence of God, in the New Testament, we have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling us because we are the temple of the living God. There, there's a difference. And this is what he's referring to when he says in verse 9, because he said, look, the old covenant was glorious. He says, how shall not, verse 8, I'm sorry, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation, and people will attack us like, I, you're talking about the Old Testament, and you're saying that it brings death and it condemns. And they'll say, act like we're not spiritual. Hey, then, then you're more spiritual than Paul because Paul uses those words about the Old Covenant as well. For of the ministration of condemnation, that's what he called it, be glory much more that the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory. Look, don't, don't get caught. Don't, don't get confused by the wording here. Think about what he's saying. For even that which was made glorious, the old covenant, he just told us, yeah, it was glorious. He says, but even that which was made glory, he said, had no glory in this respect. He's, he's using an example by reason of the glory that exiteth. He's, he's saying the Old Testament was glorious, but when compared to the New Testament, it had no glory. Do you understand what he said? For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect. I'm not saying that it didn't have glory, but it did not have glory in this respect by the reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. He's saying, look, that which remaineth is much more glorious than, that which was taken, than the glory that was taken away. Isn't that exactly what the book of Hebrews is telling us? The New Testament is better than the Old Testament. The New Covenant is better than the Old Covenant. Everything about Jesus is better. Go back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 7. We see that the order of Melchizedek teaches us, it shows us that the Old Testament priesthood was incapable, and it shows us that the Old Testament law was invalidated. It was made null and void. It was changed and it was disannulled. And then I want you to notice thirdly tonight, and we've already started talking about it because we saw it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But we'll see it here in Hebrews chapter 7. And it is this, that the Old Testament covenant, the order of Melchizedek, it shows us and it teaches us that the Old Testament priesthood was incapable, that the Old Testament law was invalidated, and it also shows us and it teaches us that the Old Testament covenant was inferior. Notice verse 19. So it's interesting to me because these, these Judaizing Christians today, 
these Hebrew roots people who want to take us back to the law, they don't realize the Bible says, hey, that old covenant, it was inferior to what we have now. That's what the writer of Hebrews, who I believe is Paul, is writing the first century Jews. He's telling them, look, that old covenant, yeah, it was glorious, but compared to the glory we have now, it had no glory. It's inferior, notice verse 19, Hebrews 7, 19, for the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a, notice these words, better hope. We're going to see in chapter 8 and 9 and 10, he starts saying, look, it's a better covenant, built upon better promises. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope by which we draw nigh unto God. And as much as not without an oath, he was made a priest. For those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, last week we saw the fact in chapter number 6, uh, I'm sorry, earlier in chapter 7, we saw that... Uh, Abraham met Melchizedek. We saw it in the book of Genesis. That's the first reference to Melchizedek in the Bible. The next one is by David in the book of Psalms. Let's look at it quickly because that's what's being quoted here. Psalm 110. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely to find the book of Psalms. Psalm 110 and look at verse number 4. Psalm 110 and verse 4. I'll just show it to you so you can write it down for your notes. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent Here's the quote, thou art a priest forever. That's the emphasis. I'll show it to you here in a minute. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The, re, the, the writer of Hebrews is quoting that, Psalm 110 and verse 4, in Hebrews 7 and verse 21. Go back to Hebrews if you would. You have the cross reference there for your notes so that when you preach you know, through the verse book of Hebrews, you, you have that. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 21. For those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Look at verse 22, Hebrews 7, 22. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a, here, here it is, look at it, better testament. We call it the New Testament, and there's nothing wrong with calling it that, but you know what? We would also call it the Better Testament. It's a better testament. Now, there's nothing wrong with the Old Testament. In fact, we're going to see in Hebrews chapter 8 that the problem with the Old Covenant was not a fault with the law, but a fault in the people. The problem was with the people. The New Testament, the beauty of the New Testament is that it's all dependent on not a people, but a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is made a surety of a better testament. Now, why is the New Testament or the testament of Jesus better? Why is the order of Melchizedek better than the order of Aaron? There's lots of reasons, but let's look at the reasons that the writer of Hebrews tells us in, in Hebrews chapter 7. The first reason is this. It's in verse 23. And they truly were many priests. He says, look, that old covenant and that Old Testament priesthood, they had a lot of priests. And they truly were many priests. And he's not just talking about priests that lived at the same time or additional priests or the Levites. He's just saying over history, even just the position of a high priest. He says there was lots of individuals that held the position of a high priest. He says, and they truly were many priests. Why were there a lot of priests? Here's why. Because they were not suffered. The word suffered means allowed. They were not allowed to continue. Why were they not allowed to continue? By reason of death. They kept dying. We, we, we saw it in the book of Numbers. Aaron died. Eleazar takes his place. And there was many priests because these high priests, they lived their lives and they died. And someone else had to take their place. That's what he's saying, verse 23. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered. They were not allowed to continue by reason of death. Why were they not allowed to continue? Because they kept dying. Verse 24, compare and contrast. But this man, because he continueth, look at this word, ever. Because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. 
His priesthood never changes. Why? Because he continueth ever. Verse 25. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost. What uttermost means to the fullest, to the highest degree. He can save, look, he can save everyone. He can save anyone. He can save to the uttermost. Why? Because he continueth ever. Look at verse 25. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Why? Because he's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. See, the high priest of the old covenant, they kept dying. The high priest of the new covenant died once for all. And now he liveth forevermore. And he continueth ever. Seeing he ever liveth. He has an unchangeable priesthood. His priesthood never ends. The Old Testament covenant was inferior. And one of the reasons it was inferior is because their priests kept dying. But the high priest of the new covenant, he never dies. And here's why it's important. He never dies. And he liveth to make intercession for us. See, I don't have to... When Aaron died, they had to go find another priest. I don't have to go find another priest. My priest lives forever. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he's ever making intercession for us. Now look, look, look at these words, Hebrews 7.26. We're getting ready to end this thing. Let me just give you the, the points again in case you like them. The order of Melchizedek shows us, it teaches us that the Old Testament priesthood was incapable it shows us and it teaches us that the Old Testament law was invalidated. It shows us and it teaches us that the Old Testament covenant was inferior. Just as we conclude this evening, look at verse 26. For such an high priest, this is referring to Jesus. Notice these words. Don't miss this. Became us. He became us. This is a reference to the uh, the, the fact that the Word was made flesh, that God was manifest in the flesh, that Jesus became the humanity of Christ. For such an high priest became us. What does that mean? It means he became sin. Now, he wasn't sinful, but he became a human being, and then he took upon himself the sins of the world. For such an high priest became us, notice, who knew no sin, who is, notice the description here, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. He became us, but he, he had no sin. We understand that. Look at verse 27. Who needeth not daily as those high priests. Here's another way that the priesthood of Jesus is greater than the priesthood of Aaron and every other high priest. Jesus needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. Here's what he's saying. Jesus got close to us. He became us. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And here's the beautiful thing about our high priest, verse 27. Who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins, and then for the people's. For this he did once, notice these words, when he offered up himself. He not only offered the sacrifice, he was the sacrifice. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. He's the high priest. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He's the offer of the sacrifice and the sacrifice. He did it all. The song says this, the hymn says this, For nothing good have I, whereby thy grace to claim, I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He not only offered the sacrifice, 
He was the sacrifice. He paid for our sins. Now, now here's, look at verse 28 so we can finish the chapter and then let me make an application. Look at verse 28. For the law maketh men high priests who have infirmities. But the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the son who is consecrated forevermore. The law makes men who have infirmities, who have weaknesses, who have sicknesses. It makes them the priests, but the oath of God. What oath? The oath we saw in Psalm uh, 110. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That oath maketh the son who is consecrated the high priest forevermore. That's what is being said here in Hebrews 7, 28. Verses 26 and 27 are telling us this. He got close to us. He became sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He is a high priest. The Bible says there in verse 27, for such an high priest became us. But here's what I want you to see. And I'd like you to look back at verse number 19 just real quickly. We'll be done here in five minutes. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 19. He got close to us. Look at it. That we might get close to him. Hebrews 7, 19. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. Notice these words. By the which we draw nigh unto God. So what makes... What makes the priesthood of Melchizedek better than the priesthood of Aaron? Go to Ephesians just real quickly. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to show you two verses. We'll, we'll be done, okay? Ephesians chapter 2. If you kept your place in 2 Corinthians, I'm not sure if I told you to do that. From 2 Corinthians, you have Galatians and Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. The priesthood of Aaron was all about keeping people out. You understand that? People did not have access to God. They, if they wanted access to God, they had to come to a priest. There was a temple that they weren't allowed to enter. They could come into certain sections. Only the priest could come inside the tabernacle or inside the temple. And only the high priest, only on one day a year, could enter into the Holy of Holies. So there was this whole system of separating people from God. The people could not enter into the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest on a certain day could do that. Only the priest could enter into the holy place. Only certain individuals could have access to God through the, the, through the priest and through the priest system. The Old Testament covenant kept people away uh, from God. The, the, the system, because it was not individualized, but uh, as a nation, you had to approach corporately through the system of the nation, through the temple and the priest and those things. In the New Testament, the Bible says that you are the temple and you have the Holy Spirit. And, and I don't have to go to a priest because I can go directly to the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. We already saw in Hebrews chapter 4, I can enter boldly into the throne room of God, into the throne of grace, because of the fact that I'm not a priest of the order of Aaron, but I'm a priest of the order of Melchizedek. I've been made a king and priest unto God and His Father. Ephesians 2 and verse 2. I think it's important because we talk a lot as Baptists about the priesthood of, of, the, of the believer, the priesthood of the believer. But let's remember, the priesthood of the believer, okay, we're not Catholics here. It's not a Levitical priesthood. It's not Pope priesthood. If you want to get technical, I'm a priesthood of the order of Melchizedek because Jesus is my high priest. Ephesians 2 and verse 12. Here's what Paul said to the church at Ephesus. We'll finish up here. That, at that time, I like how Paul likes to compare and contrast. That at that time, Ye were without Christ, being aliens. The word alien means foreigners. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers. Just another way to say foreigner. From the covenants of promise. The old covenant kept us, especially those of us as Gentile believers, it kept us at bay. 
At that time, when we were without Christ, we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. By the way, that's the way you describe people that are without God. They have no hope. No hope without God in the world. You believe that? We'll see you here for soul winning. Look at verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye, who sometimes were far off, notice these words, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. We can draw close. We are made nigh by the which we draw nigh unto God. We are made nigh by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize the benefit that we have as New Testament Christians. Hey, you know what? These, these people that want to keep the Sabbath day and do all these weird rituals and, and, and blow the horn of a ram on, on a you know, full moon or whatever they're doing, they can have their garbage. I like the better testament. I like the better. Do you realize that you and I have access to God through Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit? By the blood of Jesus Christ, we can draw nigh to God. So that's a better testament. It's a better covenant. But you know, we should take advantage of it. Wake up tomorrow morning and open up that spiritual book that unspiritual people, I'm talking about people that do not have the Spirit of God in them, they cannot understand it, but you have the Holy Spirit of God because you have a benefit of the Holy Spirit indwelling you, and you can actually open a spiritual book and read it and understand it you won't read it. But I won't read it. We have access to God through prayer. We won't pray. We have the ability to go with the Holy Spirit of God and bring life uh, to the unsaved, not because of my works, but as I go with the Holy Spirit and preach the Word of God, it can bring life and salvation to another individual. But we won't go. We have this amazing benefit to draw nigh to God, and yet we stay far away. Don't waste the benefit. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Let's bow our heads now with a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. And Lord, I, I realize that this, this portion of Scripture was dense and maybe the wording even complicated at times. But I, I pray you'd help us to understand these things. They're important. The order of Melchizedek shows us some things. It teaches us some things. It tells us that there's been a change. And there's a change because it's better. And we can draw nigh to God. We can be close to God. We have access to God. We don't have to travel to a temple. We don't have to go to a priest. We can at any moment speak to God, and we can at any moment have God speak to us. Lord, I pray you'd help us to draw nigh to you, to take advantage of the better testament. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to have Brother Moses come up and lead us in a final song. just want to remind you a couple of things. First of all, don't forget, uh, for you homeschool uh, moms, don't forget that the uh, 